Hi, I'm Derek Thompson. Does the news feel overwhelming to you these days? There's a pandemic, then there's inflation, and also this crypto thing. It's way too much to keep track of. That's why my podcast, Plain English, breaks down the news twice a week. Short, sweet, and surprising. It's everything you need to know with key insights you won't forget. Listen to Plain English free on Spotify. Group chat. I am Justin Barrier. Joining me as always, Rob Mahoney, Big Waz. Waz, I just wanted to start here by thanking you for daring to be different and leading us into tomorrow. It's very big of you. I appreciate it. <laughs> oh, man. The gift that keeps on giving. Um, wow. Yeah, that was great, wasn't it? <laughs> it was something. I'll say that. Um, but we're not going to talk about Kyrie Irving. You, there's plenty of. Uh, podcasts and stories to to go to seek out that sort of content. And I'm sure there'll be more and more coming throughout the internet uh, in the coming weeks and months and, and years. But uh, today's shtick, we are what? Less than 24 hours? No, we're a little bit more than 24 hours away before free agency can officially begin on Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we're going to go through our most intriguing free agents and trade targets. So each of us have brought to the table... Uh, one unrestricted free agent, one restricted free agent, and one trade target. But first, let's talk about the the deal that happened just before we came on here. Uh, Nuggets and Wizards, Will Barton and Monty Morris for KCP and Ish Smith. Uh, Rob, what do you think about this deal? It's tricky because I, you know Denver really did need a good wing defender to slot into its starting lineup. That's a real thing, and they found one. It still definitely smells a little bit like a financial trade masquerading as a basketball trade. And so mm. it's not exactly without its basketball merits, but it's hard to look at this bottom line. The Nuggets giving up Will Barton and Monte Morris in this deal and not see, oh, they just so happen to sneak under the luxury tax, a team that historically has put a lot of value in sneaking under the luxury tax. Yeah, I think depth was absolutely sacrificed here, but I think they got better on the top end. Um when you consider what Kenny, and people were making fun of me on Twitter because I called him Kenny, but that's what he's, that's his name, Kenny. When you consider what he does defensively, just like point of attack, screen navigation type of stuff, your Steph Curry's of the world, um, he's great at that kind of stuff. Shoots it at a 40% clip from three, um, can do it at volume. He doesn't really help you against the Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Jason Tatum types, like the big wings. But against normal-sized guards, KCP is a great defender. Um, and then, you know, Monty Morris's backup point guard, ball handling duty, and Will Barton, theoretically, Jamal Murray's going to be back and healthy. And Bones Hotland can come in and take over those minutes. And Ish Smith is your classic third guard. Right, break glass in case of emergency, regular season innings eater type of guy, uh, reserve type of guy. So, me personally, I love the trade because I think a five man unit slotting Kenny at the two, a <laughs> uh, reasonably healthy MPJ at the three, Gordon at the four, I, I love that around what Jokic and Jamal Murray do. I, I just think they were insanely good offense with that group. And the healthier that the Nuggets are, the less valuable that Barton in particular yeah, becomes, right? Yep. Like the more you you talk yourself into more of a pure 3 and D type player and KCP is both of those things at a much higher level than Will Barton is at this stage. Now, I think they're going to need to find a little bit more creation somewhere. And maybe that's a mid-level conversation. Maybe that's a future trade down the line that we haven't really gotten to yet. Can I interest yet. you in a Victor Oladipo? There's certainly a lot of Victor Oladipo buzz out in the air right now for Denver. Um, and some Gary Harris reunion mm. whispers. Every Although so that often does you hear nothing about that. for your shot creation, right. shot <laughs> making, shot taking. But it does but, some for um, your depth. Yes, you know, And like, that's the thing is we're talking about the top five. You scan down that bench. And yeah, it's Ish Smith, Jeff Green gave them some pretty good stuff. But other than that, it gets a little shaky a little quickly. So I think they need they need a couple more moves. They need some more bodies in here to really round this thing out. But 
there's room for them to both duck under the tax and become a better team because of it. And I think we're, we're starting to see them round that corner ultimately. Yeah. I mean, I think you guys hit all the major points here. I, I liked how Zach Lowe described it on Twitter where Will Barton for KCP seems like a fair trade-off. You're just getting a wing that probably fits what you need a little bit more on both sides of it. Uh, the issue comes when Monty Morris for Ish Smith, which seems to be specifically to duck under the tax. And like you guys said, I mean, if you believe in bones in year two, if you believe in the health of MPJ and Jamal Murray, then maybe you're probably fine. That's enough creation between them. Maybe you expand MP what MPJ is doing a little bit more. Um, but if not, you know, maybe you're riding the rails a little bit too much. Uh, maybe you're putting a little too much faith that Ish Smith can just like come in and save the day, which by the way, he's done for now 12 other teams. This would be his 13th. So like, it's actually not a terrible bet to make. And I, and I, and I do need to say this um, because I, I, you know, people make fun of me for being so in the tank for Denver, but like, I think on their high end, this depth shit is not going to matter. They will be that freaking good. Because, like, on their high end with MPJ, with Jamal Murray, and obviously the fucking two-time MVP, like, they are extremely good. And to me, as good as anybody in the league, right, on their high end with, again, I know this is a big, big, big caveat considering the guys we're talking about here. They are incredible if healthy so like mm -hmm. i'm not too worried about that depth issue yeah i mean those two guys are really the most important depth pieces for denver like if you have murray and you have porter for at least most of the season and they're they're in relatively good form that's what's going to help Jokic get to the finish line in better you know not better shape but better um he just looks so worn down by the end mm -hmm. of the playoffs, really over the last couple of years. And so if you can cut him a break where some of these other guys are creating a little bit more in game 62, I think that's going to pay off for you big time. All right, let's let's uh, let's get to the topic at hand here. We're going to start with our most intriguing unrestricted free agents. Each of us have one, then we'll go to restricted, then we'll go to trade targets. Uh, I'm going to take the ball first here. I'm going to start because the guy I picked was very much in the news yesterday to the point where I almost wonder if he could even qualify for this list just because it seems like he's destined for New York. Mm -hmm. um, this is one Jalen Brunson. And so what I, I have some things I want to bring up with Brunson. But first, mm -hmm. what I'm going to do is I'm going to put five minutes on the clock here and I'm going to turn it over to Waz. And Waz, I just want to hear everything <laughs> you have to say about Jalen Brunson being your New York Knickerbockers $110 million man. Ready? Go. Look, I, I, I think, because I, I was on Bill's pod yesterday talking about him, and I think that people got the impression that I was, like, sour on the deal. I think he's worth the money. I'm just wondering about what the Knicks are going to be going forward. If the idea is that, like, it's about our young guys and we bring in another quality starter and whatever, then cool. But, like, I don't know that that's what these dudes sold the city and the fans, on, when I say these dudes, I mean Leon Rose and his bunch, World Wide West, Steve Stout, which is still hilarious. Um, like, <laughs> that's not really what they promised, that type of team. Now, if you want to say the Knicks are being patient, they're biding their time, they're bringing in another high-quality starter-level player, nothing wrong with that. Um, but is he the Julius Randle of point guards? You know what I mean? Like, like the guy's a high-quality player, but he's paid right to the point of what he's worth. Like, mm. he is there. He's not a value deal. I'm not going to say he's overpaid, but he's right to the point of basically what he's worth. And, you know, that type of guy in and of itself is cool. I don't know that it's changing every, anybody's life. I think Jalen Brunson's a dope player. Um, I think uh, he's hard-nosed. I think it's funny that they hired his dad like this is freaking an AAU coach and it's Auburn University or something. Um, you know, the the whole incestuous nature of all of that, Leon Rose's kid being his agent, all of that kind of stuff is weird. But on the basketball sense, it's a good deal. Like, he's a good player. He's an upgrade to what they had. I just don't know spinning it forward, what do you see for the Knicks um, if you're a fan of the team, to be like, all right, maybe we're not going to get to Golden State, Boston, Milwaukee level. 
But man, can we get to like slightly below Memphis level? Mm. <laughs> you know, like how do we even get to that level? Um, you know, so that's my feeling on the signing. I'm not down on it. I don't think he's vastly overpaid. This isn't like John Wall's extension. You know what I mean? Like he's gonna be a good player. I'm just, I'm just wondering what the Knicks are gonna be doing going forward. It's only three minutes, by the way. So <laughs> congrats. Yeah, we might be ambitious talking about how do they get to Memphis level. Like, I think they're like, how do we yeah. get to Chicago Bulls level? Right. And then and let's let's keep going from there. And and maybe ultimately those answers are going to be guys like Barrett more so than they are guys like Brunson mm. or, or guys like Randall. But, you know, this, this is really is an interesting spot the Knicks are in because they so clearly needed lead guard help. They tried it with Kemba, did not work. And then you start looking at the alternatives and it's like, if you're not going to go in a direction like a guy like Jalen Brunson, what are you doing? Like, what, what are you, what are your immediate plans yep. to take some of this stuff off of Randall's plate, off of Barrett's plate to get a more cohesive, organized offense? You can see how they got here, even if like the means of getting there involved, as you said, paying your son, who's also the player's agent and putting some money in so-and-so's <laughs> pocket and hiring his dad as a coach, you know, all these things. They're, Making it's complicated. like 30 trades just yes. to carve out like 5 million here, 5 million there. Yeah. Yeah. The, the latest of which was this dump salary dump to the Pistons where they sent out Nerlens Noel and Alec Burks who are good NBA players for nothing and two second round picks. And I think $6 million in cash reportedly for nothing. Uh, shout out to the Pistons, by the way, who I think have done a really good job leveraging their space at a time when they didn't need it. Did they though? Like, I don't understand that deal from their point of view. Not to get in the weeds of like the New Orleans Noel element of this all, but like yeah. Noel and Burke's totally fine players. But like, doesn't Noel take playing time away from Beef Stew and now Jalen Duran in the front court? And like Marvin Bagley could theoretically play some minutes at center. So, like, do you need Noel? Do you need Burks to be taking the ball away from Cade Cunningham and now Jaden Ivey? I actually don't know. Well, unless you those- could spin them forward into something else, which is a whole other possibility. But those three names you mentioned, none of them have proven they can be good NBA players yet. You know, like so sure. Nerlens Noel is that, you know, he's off, often injured, obviously has a big history in terms of unavailability and things like that. But a good defender, catch and finish guy has has now caught on with multiple teams in kind of smaller roles and fit to those roles. I like that kind of maneuvering. And, and again, this is in in conjunction with the deal where they took on Kemba's contract to get Jalen Duran in the first place. So yeah. I mean, when you look at this stuff holistically, I think the Pistons are doing good work. Yeah, I just wonder if they could have held on to the space a little bit longer. And then when one of these teams that's inevitably going to get desperate for cap space, just because they want to squeeze some more money out in order to put an offer sheet out for like a Miles Bridges, I wonder if that opportunity is now gone. I, here. Think, but, I think also too, sometimes as a developing team, a developing team, it's nice to fill your rotation minutes with actual NBA players. Like that, that actually yeah. <laughs> that actually aids in the development of your players when they are playing around competence, right? Um, like it 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 actually is a boon for them when you think like Killeen Hayes isn't that? Woof. Woof. Oh my god. <laughs> that, you know what? Two two <laughs> my two favorite memories from uh from last year's summer league. Uh one watching Josh Giddy get ripped at half court um, and immediately tweeting, I think the Thunder might have drafted a bus and blowing up OKC Twitter for like a day or two and having people like think that I was serious and it's like tweeting me all, all year long, which was fun. And then watching Killian Hayes just have no handle whatsoever. Mm. Like just, I'm just like, this is not an NBA level guard like with his ball. He just seems so raw. Um, can't shoot, can't handle and it's like 6'3". Like, what... I mean, what the... F- what are we doing with that there? So, yeah, no. Killian Hayes ain't that. Um, all right. Well, one thing I wanted to get to is I, I wrote down, I think, pretty much every point guard in the NBA. And now I'm not blurring the lines here. I'm going strictly listed as a point guard because like in Washington, for instance, you could probably say that Bradley Beal is the lead guard there. He's going to initiate most of the offense, but I'm sticking rigidly to the point guard definition. Um, And I really want to find out where Brunson fits Mm. in the league at large. So stop me. This is who I have above Brunson. Stop me. If you disagree with any of these players. So Steph Curry, John Morant, Damian Lillard, Trey Young, Chris Paul, Jamal Murray, 
Drew Holiday, Shea Gilders Alexander, Darius Garland, Kyrie Irving. I will say like mostly based on actual performance, not whatever yep. weird crystal stuff he has going on in, in his hypothetical, off time. hypothetical Kyrie Irving. Mm-hmm. Hypothetical Kyrie Irving, Cade Cunningham, LaMelo Ball, CJ McCollum. Is Cade Cunningham a point guard? Yeah, you lead can guard, call him a especially point with guard. Ivy. Um, yeah, he's going to initiate initiate a lot of the offense. Also, so Lamelo Ball, I don't think is better right now than okay, so, so gonna, he hasn't shown himself in his career yet. Who, who would you rather have though? Oh, I'd rather have Lamelo Ball. I mean, right, and Cade too. He's a six seven point guard. Like, yeah, and I, of course, I'd rather have Cade. Yeah, yeah, that goes what I'm saying. Okay. CG Would I rather have Kyrie? I don't know that that's the case. Okay. That, that's C- a more that's a different question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a yeah, that's a yeah, you're right. That's a different question. You're right. Uh CJ McCollum, De'Aaron I, Fox. I I I, mm, I guys CJ is good. <laughs> I didn't say he's not good. I didn't say he's not good, but I feel like I feel like Brunson gives me way more fight on defense for Brunson's sure. He's younger too. So there's that. You know, all right, so I'm going to highlight thing, CJ. I don't know that that's like a even, like that's, that's even to me. That's okay. a push to me. Deer and Fox. I'm a Fox guy. I don't, <laughs> like I'm a, I'm a Fox guy just in the, just like, you know, his, his speed with the ball in his hands, man, like that, that shit is so hard to find elsewhere. I, I um, agree. Yeah, and especially if like he can continue on his his last yeah, couple months of the season. Yeah, I say Fox is slightly above. Yeah. Okay. Let's keep it going. Dejounte Murray. Nah. Fred VanVleet. Nah. Marcus Smart. Nah. Okay. Nah. I, I think we're I think we're in the range. We're in the we're range, in the range See, now. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you mentioned that because I have Brunson next, and then I have Lonzo Ball. Kyle Lowry, Tyrese Maxey, Malcolm Brogdon, Reggie Jackson, Mike Conley, Pat Rev, and it just gets worse yeah. from there. Nah, yeah. so, those cats. No, no, no. So I have him at 18th. Mm-hmm. And we're saying at best, maybe like 16 or 17. Yeah. And the For Knicks now. just gave him 110 million. I, and that's the question I think I want to get to is like right now I would put him there. But Rob, like, what are the odds that he can make it? even into the top 10 of this list. I would say extremely unlikely. Okay. (laughs) So what's like his ceiling? Like, like 14. Yeah. 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 I think solid, like, you know, average starting point guard is kind of, you know, like relative to, again, these are stars and all stars and all NBA players at the top of that list. Like we're combining quote unquote lead guards with point guards. Right. And like, he doesn't really have, the the size to scale up like he can't go to shooting guard because you can't really expect him to guard shooting guards for real mm-hmm. you know but like he technically plays the same position as Donovan Mitchell and it's like is that guy a point guard or a shooting guard right like that's where it gets kind of murky so it's like if you're saying people underneath 6-4 who actually um handle the ball a lot for their team if you're telling me he's in the 17th best of that, that's damn. That's damn good. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That, you know I, mean? I think that's interesting because I do like think if there we're is... Because what I mean is like, if we're not going to put him in the Harden bunch, mm-hmm. right? We're not going to put him in the LeBron bunch. These are bigger dudes, Luka bunch. Bigger dudes who oftentimes are the de facto point guard of their team. Like, he's not in that category. You mm-hmm. know, so... When it comes to guys who are under 6'4 and handle the rock all the time, like he's pretty damn good. Okay. I'm glad you said that because I do think there's another level that Brunson can hit because all of the indicators based on when Luca didn't play, either when Luca was sitting, either when Luca was out earlier in the season last year, suggest yep. that Brunson with more opportunity can be better. And so I don't fault him for seeking out the Knicks as opposed to going back to the Mavs and wanting more, more of opportunities that. On the Knicks? That's and that's what brings <laughs> me to my next point, which is I actually don't think the Brunson signing is bad. I actually think 
the Knicks are going to be the problem. And in particular, sharing the ball with Julius Randle. I don't know how Brunson and Randle coexist. And if I were the Knicks, I would be looking for ways to now trade Randle and maybe like aggregate some picks in order to get this guy maybe a shooter, maybe just one or two, perhaps. Because I also think if he's going to thrive just in general, he needs someone to kick the ball out to. And I don't think that's Mitchell Robinson and RJ Barrett and uh, Derek Rose or whoever else he's going to play with. So the Brunson signing isn't bad. Anyone, literally anyone going to the <laughs> Knicks is bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I think t- for him specifically, I don't see the fit. Uh, and it feels really Thibodeau, like, let me just get grinders who play hard and play 82 games in a regular season. And like, maybe I'll squeeze out a little bit more talent than they expected. But overall, this is probably not going to be as good as we had hoped. Yeah, I totally understand why he and people around him would think this is a guy who can do more at this stage in his career, that he's ready for more responsibility. And maybe he'll get that in New York and maybe he won't. But what we haven't seen is him deal with this kind of suboptimal fit yet. You know, w- yeah. when we brought up De'Aaron Fox, Dallas we haven't seen perfect. We haven't seen Brunson in a De'Aaron Fox type situation where there's so much working against you and yet you still De'Aaron have to be Fox a lead guard. In a Brunson situation. Absolutely not. Where you get to play five out and yeah. you get to actually optimize the things and specialize the things that you are naturally good at, right? Like you get they, you get to say, hey, this the floor is gonna be spread with shooters. People can't just slough in on you, right? Like, go ahead and beat the guy in front of you. De'Aaron Fox ain't never, ever, ever, ever had that, right? And no Brunson got to going on there. And Brunson got to do that. And then it's like, if Barrett is supposed to be a big part of the future, and that's what that's why like, like the Knicks confuse me. It's like, are you grooming Barrett to be the centerpiece of a bigger, of a big, 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 huge deal? Or is Barrett supposed to be part of the thing that's left over when you inevitably get the kinds of players that make you a championship type of team? Like, how are you... Because how are you supposed to come in possession of those players Mm -hmm. if not via trade? The Knicks are perpetually playing for next season. Not four years down the road. Not two years even down the road. They're playing for this next season. And I think the fact that they had to get off of Burks and Noel's contracts just speaks to that. Like before it seemed like, oh, great, we have tradable contracts that we can maybe turn into future stars. It seemed like a really great like pathway to something bigger. Now it's just a bunch of guys who are mildly interesting, all playing together that don't really fit together. They don't really see how they get to the next. That's what <laughs> okay. Knicks fan, okay. optimistic Knicks fans are telling me. No, but to keep it with the Brunson part of it, if RJ is supposed to have the ball and Randall is useless when he doesn't have the ball, what is that? Like, I saw Chris Haynes, and Chris Haynes is plugged in, especially on the player side. He said, I talked to somebody close to Brunson. He allegedly didn't have enough opportunities in Dallas. Where are these opportunities going to present themselves <laughs> in New York? Well, you right. know, so that's something definitely to think about. To play that out, maybe that's kind of more feature than bug with this signing. Maybe what the Knicks are projecting overtly is, oh, come here, you're going to be our point guard, you're going to run our offense. And the whisper behind the back is, if we need him to, you know, we've we've seen him play next to the stars. You know, if, <laughs> right. if the ball goes to R.J. Barrett, it's okay if if Jalen Brunson is our second or third option. This reminds me of my favorite story I was told by an executive once that I think the the team was talking to Will Barton, and Will Barton was really hung up on only being a two and not a three, right? And so the coach says, "Oh yeah, yeah, you could be a two, you could be a two, definitely. Don't worry about it." They hang up the phone and the coach then says, yeah, our twos just happen to guard LeBron James here. So, so it's, like, <laughs> it's part of the can, system, you know? Yes, yes exactly. Um, all right, let's move along here just because uh, we're, we're running a little behind. Uh, Waz, why don't you give us your unrestricted free agent? Unrestricted. And this isn't going to be very sexy, y'all, but it's Chris Boucher. Um, oh, because I'm whoa. interested. Whoa, <laughs> I was yeah, not expecting I, this. You guys said intriguing. Yeah, not, sure. Like, I'm intrigued to see what this guy's market is because I'm intrigued to see how the league feels about centers, right? Mm. Like, is it a problem to have a really skinny Boucher type outside of the context of Toronto with all those damn big ass switchable, hyper athletic long wings? 
Can he play outside of that system? Do teams value what he brings to the table as far as a switchable guy, right? Like a guy who can credibly guard wings at times. He's not going to bang with the big dogs. Like he's obviously a really slight guy. And you and I wonder what type of number they're going to put on that, right? Like I think he's probably worth a good... Like if Tice is worth $9 million, my man Boucher got to be worth at least 14 you know, if he's going to be playing 20, 25 minutes or so a night. So I'm, I just, it, like, I like Boucher as a player. I'm just interested to see how the league feels about that kind of guy coming out of the playoffs that we just had. Where we saw at times Boston just beat people up with size and girth and all of that. But then at times we saw where that was used against them, right? Where they could they weren't getting out to shooters and, you know, their offense was sort of lagging because of all of these bigs on there. So, like, I'm interested to see how the league feels about that type of dude. He's kind of a four, can sometimes play five. He's really slight, but he's versatile. Theoretically, he shoots it. Um... <laughs> That's that. That's why I'm interested in Boucher. Mm. I'm gobsmacked. I was not <laughs> expecting Chris Boucher. <laughs> so Zach Cram actually wrote about him uh, under the same sort of framework uh, as the most intriguing free agent for the ringer. So check that out if you guys haven't. Um, I think he's really fascinating too because he almost is, he checks all the buzzwords that we talk about with like the, the modern NBA values. Mm-hmm. Like he is long, he is switchable, <laughs> he can <laughs> shoot most of the time. But then is almost like hollowed out of all of the actual nuance that I think that like you actually need in order to be like a high quality reserve on the Warriors, right? Where it's like, oh, he's actually really lithe and and thin and can get pushed around too much. And maybe that leads to him over following. And he also can't pass like to save his life. And so it's almost like he's the chalk outline of, of the exact player you want in 2022, but he doesn't have anything filled in in between. Yeah, what you're describing is pretty much the exact reason he was in and out of Nick Nurse's doghouse at various points over the last couple of years. And I think he showed a lot of improvement this past season. Like, I think yeah. he, he proved himself to be a much more solid NBA player just in terms of executing game plans, staying in front of your guy, not chasing those attempts to jump and block three-pointers, which he's very good at, but also really, really, really wants to do. And so he's kind of he's kind of leveling out as a pretty good NBA player. That said, he is the guy who is very easy to covet from afar for exactly those reasons that you outlined. Like he gives he gives you off your bench or I guess, uh, you know, maybe plugging in as a fifth starter. If you if you have a kind of a weird fit, he gives you a lot of that stuff you might need. And so you could see a team really talking themselves into a Chris Boucher under the right circumstances. Yeah. Do you guys see a clear fit like one of the teams I was thinking of as we were going through the edit on, on Zach's piece was like maybe the Wolves, a team that is reaching in the trade market seems like for a bigger center to put next to Carl Anthony Towns, like a Gobert, Clint Capella. Is Chris Boucher someone you can get for a fraction of the price who could actually do all of this, like some of the similar things that those guys do? Yeah, uh, Bulls, I think maybe, Sacramento too. Like whenever you have centers... Guys who are ostensibly centers but not good at the job of defensively anyway, like, you know, a Sabonis or a Carl Towns where it's like, all right, this guy's not the eraser that we want ideally out of our center position. Can we put a guy next to him who does some of that help side stuff, who does help in the in the sense that he's very switchable. So when he's guarding pick and rolls with our guards, like it makes us more, you know, sturdy in that in that position. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's the type of team that you're looking at. Um, I don't know if he would work in Dallas again, the type of team who has a center who's just not ideal in Moxie Kleba. Um, but yeah, I think it's those type of teams. If you're if your center is not that good at defense, you probably want a Boucher type. Yeah, I like Chicago as an option. I think Mm. that could be kind of cool. The Pelicans are another one of these teams that always comes up when it's like spacing bigs for sure. And if the the market on him just totally goes dry for whatever reason, I think he would be great in Milwaukee. Uh, I I just don't see how he gets there unless it's like a, there's nothing for you. Here's a one-year deal to get you back on the market next year and you can contend in the meantime. Yeah, I love the Milwaukee fit. That's a really good one. Rob, do you want to go with your most intriguing unrestricted free agent? Yeah, I'm going chalk. It's James Harden. 
you know, hmm. this was you guys it, just just life swapping right here. Exactly. Freaky Friday. <laughs> this is this is really surprising to me. I love it. Well, admittedly, I found this one hard to choose. This is not the most inspiring free agent class overall. Uh, there's not a ton of intrigue. We're already seeing the Brunson issue kind of resolved right off the top. We're already seeing some guys moved around, some guys who we thought might opt out not and vice versa. Harden is the guy who is, he's gotten pretty much everything he's ever wanted since 2012 in terms of contract and team and role. And this is the first time since then he's really going to have yeah, to compromise. He's got to <laughs> eat a little bit of shit. Uh, and so what does that look like? You know, is that a two-year deal? Is that a three-year deal? Is it in the ballpark of the 47 million player option he's he can no longer pick up? Or are, are we throwing that away and starting much, much lower for the sake of a longer-term arrangement? Fascinating to watch. I mean, I, I don't think Philly has a way out of paying him something. And they, they really have kind of hitched their wagon to him over the near future. But that could take a lot of different forms. One thing I should mention is that he probably has to make a decision on his player option on Wednesday, as we're, which is the day we're recording this. Oh, yeah. So we, he might have... Uh, made that decision by the time you hear this. But I do think what he does with that is pretty interesting because the reporting at first indicated he would opt into the final year of his contract, which is 47 million, which would have made him the second highest paid player in the NBA, which seems like a pretty good deal. But now what you're hearing is maybe he opts out, signs somewhere like a lesser extension, maybe in that two to three year range, specifically to open up cap space for his friend PJ Tucker, which is a really interesting part of this. We could talk about the t- Tucker thing because he's actually someone I had as like a 1B option to talk about uh, in addition to Brunson. But I also think it's an interesting comparison to his old friend Kyrie Irving. Seems like Harden is doing all of the things that the Nets would have loved Kyrie Irving to do to make this all work. And while Harden is maybe in a more mixed situation and clearly has a better relationship with the organization and that goes a long way, it seems like Harden is, is like kind of going along with the program, which is like pretty encouraging to, to see. And I think he like deserves some credit if he does end up doing that. It's some, there's definitely some level of humility when you consider the fact that they went out and saved your ass from Brooklyn, um, sure. like that, because that's what happened. You were uh, like extremely unhappy. They went and put the cape on and saved you. Um, and you know he's playing ball, which is nice. It's like shows a level of humility. Like you clearly were not the best player on this team for the first time in God knows how long. Uh, and the the part of it to me that's like, damn, like he turned he turned down an offer that Brooklyn put on the table for a max extension. He turned it down. And now he's in Philly not getting one. That's what I find to be pretty fascinating about all this. Because I was like, man, there's no way they can just not give this to him after he turned it down to go be with them. But that's exactly what's happening, which, you know, I think is pretty pretty jarring, honestly, and is different than what you normally see. And also makes me think, yeah, he's not a clutch client. Because <laughs> they, they don't do these kind of favors f- for people. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's pretty cool to see. The reason I wasn't intrigued is like, he's going back to Philly, yeah. right? Like, he has to go back to Philly. Um, but yeah, the, the type of deal that he signs will, will be an interesting deal. Yeah, it's not the where does he go, but the for how much and under yep. what circumstances. Yep. And what do the Sixers look like as a result of that? But I, I love the P.J. Tucker offshoot of this because Joel Embiid pretty much explicitly said in his post-game press conference that he wants to play with a PJ Tucker. Uh, so the fact that they're going to get the literal PJ Tucker is, is a nice awesome. twist. And it has a kind of an echo of the, the circumstances are different, but when LeBron was on his way out of the heat and was like, man, that Shabazz Napier is really good. <laughs> and the heat drafted him. I just, I just love when, when teams take their stars, very explicit advice on who they should select. So PJ Tucker going to be 37 years old, if he's not already, opted out a $7.4 million on a player option with Miami, reported to be nearing a three-year $30 million contract with 27 guaranteed with the Sixers for his 17th, 18th, and 19th seasons. I think we were talking about this guy as being done after his finals run with the Milwaukee Bucks, but it seems like not. And I mean, to his credit, he shot better from three than he has in a in a long while. I don't know how much that's going to continue, but uh, it he probably was good has in Miami to. last year. Who was, was talking about him being done, Justin? Who was talking about it? Because the people, 
the, the, the streets. People, they don't, they yeah, don't know about those dogs. The Bucks, probably the Bucks front office. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, and, I, I and, think it's the type of player that the Sixers need, though, but I do worry. Absolutely. Like, if, if his shot is off, like, it gets pretty cramped pretty quickly in that offense. Yeah, I'm just happy for the guy because, like, his journey to the league, playing in, like, Lebanon and all kinds of crazy-ass places, and when you take that path... Like, for whatever reason, teams sort of have this fixed view of you, and you always end up getting these two years, 12 million, two years, 15, two years, this. You always end up getting those kinds of deals. So it's nice to see him, like, cash out, man, get get 30 mil um, while getting out of a $7.5 million play option. Like, that's dope to see. Good for him. So the other subplot of a Tucker signing with Philly would be that this would be now the third player that Daryl Morey has acquired who he used to, uh, who he had acquired previously with Houston first James Harden and probably in like a couple months span Harden, the Anthony Melton and PJ Tucker and baked within this Keith Pompey of the Philadelphia Inquirer report. There is scuttlebutt that he continues to pursue Eric Gordon uh, after failing to acquire him in a three-team tra- trade on draft night. And so I, I know for a while we've been saying, like, maybe Doc isn't Maury's specific type of coach. I almost wonder if the opposite of happening and Doc is rubbing off on Daryl and Daryl is now just acquiring players <laughs> that he's familiar with. Well, he's always done that. I remember writing about that uh, when I was writing about Robert Covington and them trading for Robert Covington, another guy he had at one point and then traded back for this is basically what Daryl does. There, there's like now, I think now double digit players who have played with him at multiple points in their career. And now, of course, with multiple stops with him being in Philly. But look, when you Darryl have a dudes. type, when you have yeah. a type, you have a type. <laughs> yeah. The Daryl dudes. Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's turn to restricted free agency right now. Um, I'll, I'll start us off. Uh, I have Miles Bridges mm-hmm. down here, a player who, when I look at the landscape, could fit on 28 different teams. And, not surprisingly, it seems like there are a lot of teams interesting, although it seems like some teams uh, are starting to dry up. Just if you're if you're basing this on the reporting of uh, some of the stuff that was coming out this morning before we recorded this, uh, Mitch Kupchak says that they're going to bring him back. I wonder at what cost, because this is the type of player if I was, let's say, the Grizzlies, uh, let's say the Indiana Pacers. Previously, the Detroit Pistons, before they soaked up some of their cap space with the previous Knicks deals, uh, I would love to have on my team because, like, he's 24. He can handle the ball. He's a big wing. He could shoot a little bit most of the time. I, I just think, like, he's Plays the perfect hard. type of player. Yeah, like, uh, I just think he's uh, he would fit on most teams. And if I was, like, the Grizzlies in particular, if we want to focus on one team, like, that's a guy I'd be tripping over myself to to bring in and complete the picture that I've already assembled. But he's precisely the same type of player that Jordan is balked at paying, right? It's like, it's almost like Mike is just like, hold on, man. I understand that guys in this league get max contracts, but those guys are all-stars, aren't they? Right? And, and, and that's what it felt like he was doing with Kemba. That's what it feels like it's happening with Miles Bridges. It's like, I get it theoretically that market-wise, your market value is that, but, like, you ain't no all-star, <laughs> you know? I'm like, I'm Michael Jordan. I know an all-star when I see one. You're not that. And it, it, it feels it's like Gordon they have Hayward. a difficulty yeah. understanding this, like, th- how max contracts work, right? Because it's like, well, if Dame Lillard makes a max deal, why should Miles Bridges? It, like, they just don't... Un- like, Mike just has a hard time, obviously... Squaring that, however, like they'd be dumb to let this dude go. Like he'll be worth the deal. He he scored twenty plus points a game pretty efficiently last year, and he's a decent defender. Like what am I missing here? Like he was the he was an offensive hub, and you know a lot of times too, it becomes hard for teams to change their minds of their vision of a player. Like, if you never quite saw him in that light, maybe you're just like, oh, I know that he kind of did it last year, but is he really that kind of player? Well, I'm just like, yo, the proof is in the pudding. He did it over the course of a season. He's that guy. Pay him. This is kind of the chickens coming home to roost, too, because it seemed like there was room to negotiate him on an extension Mm -hmm. that was less Mm -hmm. than the max last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Hornets did not do that. (laughs) 
now there are lots of teams with Miles Bridges' interest. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that it's it's tough because if you're the Hornets, you you don't want to lock yourself in too quickly financially. Like you don't want to cap yourself at the middle. I understand all those concerns, but Miles Bridges is really good and he showed signs of being really good before last season. So now here we are. And the, and the question is not, is he going to get paid, but who is going to pay him? And will the Hornets match it or not? I, I suspect they probably will, but I could see a lot of teams talking themselves into an offer sheet. And the question is, what is Miles Bridges open to considering? Because if you said the, the Oklahoma City Thunder are going to make him an offer, that's a team that could really use a player of his mm-hmm. at his age, of his skill set, at his position. I think he slots into what they do really well. Is Bridges open to considering those in addition to the teams like Memphis, the teams that are a little further along in, in their competitive trajectory? Yeah, I think he makes the most sense on a team that already has its core and you overpay just to be the last or the second yep. to last piece, which is why the Grizzlies is the most intriguing option. Um, if, if only because the Grizzlies are probably one of the most intriguing teams in the NBA. But like even like the Pacers, a team that has like a couple guys in place. Like I wonder if you slot into Bridges, you keep Miles Turner on an extension. Then it's like Halliburton, uh, Duarte, the guy they drafted this year. And then like you have something there. Like even the Knicks, for instance, isn't Bridges like a better option for what they have, if they intend to keep Randall and Barrett, than Jalen Brunson, I I don't know. That's a lot of beef between Barrett Bridges. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of heft there. It's a lot of beef. Yeah. All right. Uh, Waz, you want to go with your restricted free agent? Uh, Anthony Simons, um, because unlike Miles Bridges and DeAndre, Ayton, you don't hear a lot of teams are in on trying to, you know poach him from Portland. Like, oh, look, why don't we throw an offer at the guy? You're not hearing that about him. Um, and I think because he's a different kind of player, right? Like, he's a smaller-ish two who only scores. But his scoring is really dynamic. You know, like, he Sounds shoots familiar. it. He, yeah. <laughs> he shoots it. He puts it on the floor. Um, He's not much of a playmaker right now. And he's in the past, been a disaster on defense. Um, Like, a disaster. So, again, like, same with Boucher Boucher. Um, How much are, how much do the, do, does Portland value this kid? Especially seeing as, as Justin just snarkily alluded to, (laughs) they just had the functional equivalent to him right before this. So, I'm interested to see, like, what is this? What is this kind of player worth? A young guy who's a bucket um, to be a Twitter insufferable person. Mm. Um, what, what what do you think he's gonna get? Because I'm like, I don't see why he's not a twenty to twenty five million dollar guy. I, I feel like it's a pretty good sign for his bank account that they traded for Jeremy Grant. Because mm. once you trade for Jeremy Grant, if you're not re-signing Anthony Simons, what are you doing? You know, like that, you really need to keep him if you're Portland. And I think Yusuf Nurkic might be in a similar position in terms of a guy that all of a sudden has quite a bit of leverage, even though he's not an exceptional center by any means. And I think Simons is in that camp. Really interesting score, more valuable to Portland than maybe almost any team in the league right now. So he's he's going to get a lot of money. Yeah, but I almost wish like, they could swap him for a team that needed him more. Like, I just... But they need Groundhog- him they need the scoring, but I don't know if you want to be closing with Damian Lillard and Anthony Simon on the, on the no. same court together. Like, I don't know who you're guarding. And so I, I almost wonder, like, is there something to work with Charlotte where Charlotte pays Anthony Simons and the Blazers get, gets miles bridges. Man. Like bridges is the better player overall yeah, by and the far. More helpful. I know, but like, I, I think like, the Blazers need a player more like bridges than they do Simons. And I, I wonder if you, you're just caught in that perpetual cycle of ending up in the same place. Yeah. I, I, I really, I really liked the, I really liked the Simon's kid. Cause I've seen him score oversized before, which is like, to me, like that, that's kind of the difference between these little guys. Like if you can get your shot up and oversize, um, both at the cup and just off the dribble. Okay. Like that's, that's damn good, and it's valuable in big possessions. It's just, again, like the PTSD of watching Dame and, and, and CJ just come up short every single year is clouding this situation. But I like individually, I'm a big ass Simon's fan. Like I love watching him play. 
Yeah, there's, the, the there's boy- really an institutional lesson in watching the Portland Trailblazers completely change management and coaching and do pretty much the exact same thing that they they've always done. I know. I mean, the Grant deal I thought was a pretty good piece of business, but it did just lock them into like ending up in the same place. Like after we've gone through the draft now, and if they do end up just bringing back Simons and Nurkic, I do wonder if we're back to DefCon. Is it four? Is the higher number worse, or is DefCon one the worst? I think Who one knows? is the more explosive. Okay, so we're at one, presumably. Uh, and I wonder if Damian Lillard's like, so this is pretty much the same team with Jeremy Grant and a guy who's like 19 and might not be helpful for another two years. Yeah. I don't know, yeah. man. Yeah. I think they need to do a lot more in order to, to make this more appealing to Lillard, but we'll see. Do we like the shape of that any better? If Simons is like a super sixth man and you know, like maybe, maybe Josh Hart is the starter and kind of like the, the holdover there. And I mean, it changes what you think of Simons. It changes how much he probably would get paid. But in terms of the fit of that team, is there an, is there an alternative fit within their grasp? I think if you're paying anyone around that much money and you aren't thinking of them as a closer, I think you're in a big problem. Yeah, yeah and also like, is it an impossibility that Simons could one day grow up to not be a disaster? Like, just be not in I like you know this isn't ideal. But it's not a disaster. Like, I think there's a huge gulf in between those things. You know what I mean? Like, meaning the the gulf between Steph Curry on an island and Jordan Poole. Hmm. You know? And I think that makes it, um, like, a meaningful difference in big games um, against the best teams. You know what I mean? So if you can get from Jordan Poole to Steph, I think we're getting somewhere here. You know what I mean? Right. right. Defensively, of course. Um, all right, Rob, you want to go with your restricted free agent? Yeah, we, we can't get out of this segment without talking about DeAndre Ayton. It's just mm. not possible. Uh, and I we've say done this a part, lot of Ayton talk on this podcast, though. We've done a lot of Ayton talk, but, but let me let me simplify it this way. I think his whole situation is pretty wild. I'm wondering if he just tucks his tail between his legs and ends up back in Phoenix, but we're going to hear a lot about sign and trade possibilities until this thing is done. That seems like whatever the outcome is going to be, it's either going to be back in Phoenix or sign and trade somewhere. So let's lay it out. Like, let me, let me lay out some centers for you and you tell me if they move you at all as the next starting center of the Phoenix Suns. Emotionally? Yes. Spiritually and emotionally. If, mm. if you feel, if you feel the power within you stirred by mm. Clint Capella, who we talked about last week, Jakob Pertl, Jonas Valanciunas, Yusuf Nurkic, Miles Turner, Steven Adams. Do any of those guys do anything for you? Miles Turner. I'm a little, yeah, I'm a, I'm a truther for Turner. This is the Turner hive. I'm Turner hive till I die. For sure. Um, All those other guys you mentioned do nothing for me. Like Nurkic. uh, Oh my God. Jakob Pertl. What the, but, but that's what they, like, if you're going to trade eight and you need a center, and you're not going to get the best of the best. You're not, you're not even going to get the Rob Williams types at this point. So, so what are you getting? And that's why I keep coming back, Waz, to something you talked about with Bill, which is the possibility of the eight and go bear. That would be amazing. Trade. I think the Suns would be really freaking good for having done that. And I think it works for Utah, too, in terms of recontextualizing what kind of team they are and getting a guy who can do a little bit more offensively than Gobert can. I think Phoenix would have to put stuff into that deal to incentivize Utah to do it. Maybe picks, maybe young guys they like, even that maybe it's like a Jay Crowder. I don't know what that looks like, but there's there's something there that I think could Phoenix make sense for both damn teams. impossible to score on it's in interesting. that scenario, bro. The Suns would be insufferable to watch with both Gobert and Chris Paul being prickly like for, for 48 minutes. Like there's no way I would watch a regular season game for them. But let me turn this on its head though, just a little bit. Considering what the Suns asked of Eaton to play a more rigid role, is someone like Nurkic that much worse? Like if that's what you want from your center, is there some sign and trade to work out where you send Aiton to the Blazers, a team that needs someone a little bit more versatile, who has more room to grow and can grow into something a little bit more dynamic what offensively. What else is Portland sending out to them? Well, I mean, there's two parts of this. One is like, does Aiton put his foot in the ground and say like, I'm going to the Blazers no matter what. It's a little bit more tricky with the Blazers because I don't think they have the cap space to make that threat. But like there are other teams out there where he could say like, hey, get me here and you just take whatever you can out of this. But it could be Nurk 
plus other stuff. Like, so Nurkic fills in at the center role. Maybe you get draft picks. Maybe you get a shade and sharp. Maybe it's an Anthony Simons. But like, I wonder if you're saying for Phoenix, I want my center to be kind of programmatic. Let's get a programmatic center and also other stuff to help us down the line. And maybe that's like, gives you more of a long runway and gets you out of the eight and fiasco. I think part of the problem is a lot of these centers, Nurkic included, are not great programmatic centers. Like Yusuf Nurkic is an okay defender, a guy who honestly has trouble finishing sometimes against some matchups. Like he he gets into that like push hook shot kind of floaty <laughs> range. It's the same one Aiden yeah. does for, for like to be fair. And so that's really all of these guys that I listed. I'm not sure there's any nobody, no really heartening choices there. And I mean, that's why the, the sign and trade market is so tough, unless you want to get into a place of, as Phoenix, where you're playing more of a traditional four as a five and sp- spacing things out. But why are you doing that when your two lead guards and the guys who run your offense are not downhill threats primarily? You know, like you're not, I don't know what you're clearing space for by going for more of a stretch option. They need an interior guy. And there are fewer and fewer realistic interior players. And the ones who are really good are already spoken for. Mm-hmm. I think the Pacers is also a pretty good outcome for both of them. Like Turner is probably the best of that bunch, as we just described. Oh, yeah. um, and I think th- there's probably still a little bit more in him if if like the the Suns uh, really want to delve into that. And like Chris Paul is probably the exact type of guy who could probably bring it out of him. And I think like the Pacers, the type of young team where Aiden can like explore the wonders of his body a little bit more than he could in Phoenix, you know, like that actually works wait, out. Wait, for, for what? Both. <laughs> DeAndre Aiden is going through puberty. Yo. <laughs> He has been messing around with VR lately. You know, I don't know. I don't know what he's getting into. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I guess the worry would be that in Indiana, there's not much nightlife. So he might become a full gamer and just spend all of his nights doing that. So maybe, maybe it's not for the best. Um, all right. Well, speaking of trades, let's get to the trade targets now. Um, I'll start with mine. DeJounte Murray. Yep. Who all of a sudden is in every trade rumor. And I'm kind of for it because in this situation, you would see a lot of teams who have been bad for a little while now, like the Spurs have been, and say, we have to be good as soon as possible. That like we can't go through one or two or three more years of a rebuild. We've been doing this for so long. We need to give something to our fans. The Kings, prime example of this. But when in actuality, the better path to being really good down the road is to suffer for a little bit longer, actually get the type of game-changing, league-altering players that you need in order to shape your franchise and then do it. So, like, you actually need to be worse again and maybe one more season. And I think the Spurs are kind of in that situation where they're decent enough with Murray, but Murray's timeline is now. He has two more years on his contract, and he was a fringe all-star this season. And did he end up making all-star? I don't know if he made it with... He did, yeah. Yeah. Um, And at the end of that contract, you're either going to have to let him walk to another team or you're probably going to have to pay him the max. And I'm not sure he's like your max player, your best player on a championship team. I think he's probably better off on a team like the Hawks, like playing next Mm -hmm. to Trey Young, being your second or your third guy Mm -hmm. and doing all the little things in between there uh, while still maybe growing in the midst of that. And so if they do make a deal with a team like the Hawks, then the Spurs get worse and then they're playing more for the future. Cause so I kind of like this for both sides of this, Rob, what do you, what do you think about that? Just like general POV in San Antonio. I picked DeJounte Murray for the exact same reason. And specifically, specifically the possibility of the Hawks getting into the DeJounte Murray business, because we've seen some rumors come out that there maybe even are trade constructions that get them Murray without John Collins, that there's Mm -hmm. other, you know, whether it's picks based Obviously, Danilo Gallinari or some equivalent salary is going to have to be in there for, for financial reasons. But it's my favorite kind of trade because it takes a proof of concept we know, which is if you were watching the Hawks last year, the Daylon Wright, Trey Young minutes oh. were good. Like that worked. And now we take the billionaire's version of Daylon Wright yeah. into Jante Murray. Without Trey Young on the court, though, no. like trying to create offense is just it was it was it was rough to watch. But yeah, Murray, why I like him on the Hawks is because he has that juice. Like he can create offense. He has developed into a plus type of playmaker. So that's like, man, like you get both of those guys in the mix. And, you know, sort of like KCP, 
Um, but I think he's even better as an on-ball type of guy. Oh, yeah. Um, he's not he's not able to handle the big wings. He's not. He's too he's too frail. He's too light in the shorts for that. But anybody else, he is on them. <laughs> like he is on them. So like I love the defensive fit as well because it frees up Trey Young to not always have to deal with the guys at the point of attack. And this guy in the non-Trey Young minutes can absolutely be the engine of that offense. That would be incredible for the Hawks, which means it's not going to happen. Maybe. <laughs> but here, but here's a brilliant idea. Let's take one of the best offensive guards in the league and one of the best defensive guards in the league, put them together, boom, yeah. profit. Yeah, right. sounds good. Yeah, I like the fit in Atlanta. The other team rumored is the Wolves. Now you'd have to mm. find some place, new yeah, home for, for D'Angelo. Yeah, oh, <laughs> fortunately. But, but I'm, I'm sure he has his backpacks like just perpetually, just ready to move on to the next team that's going to be disappointed in him. <laughs> Man, Murray on the Wolves would just be, that would be too much fun. For similar reasons, right? Yeah. Like, you give the keys to Edwards, it's Edwards and Towns, and then Murray is your third. I like that. Well, if you're, if you're thinking of dream pairings for DeJounte Murray, Carl Towns is basically mm -hmm. it, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, he, he protects Towns defensively. Towns gives him all the space he needs to explode to the basket. You get... I mean, honestly, I think Murray's just a better playmaker than D'Lo is at this point, considering Russell can't really create any separation, which has been a problem for him. I, I like a lot of these fits for Murray in terms of where they are right now and who could be on the table. I think, I, I honestly, coming into this offseason, didn't really expect him to be a player who would be traded. So the fact that we're talking about it at all, I think is pretty interesting. Well, I have a couple other teams I wrote down here just, just quickly. The Pelicans. So you're saying, actually, our window is now. We're yeah. going to pair him with CJ McCollum. And we're going to close games with him, mm -hmm. McCollum, Ingram, probably Herb Jones and Zion. And you just have yes. like a absolutely dynamic small ball team. Is, Deja uh, is DeJounte Murray the key to unlocking every version of every all my favorite <laughs> versions of all these teams? Apparently he is. Well, I'm glad yeah. you mentioned that because I also have the Wizards. Same thing playing next to Bradley Beal. Like he fits so well with like a he dynamic really scoring yeah, because, guard. You know, because he's basically like a Pat Beverly if Pat Beverly actually could do something with the ball. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, but not even do something. Do a lot of things yeah. with the ball. Right? Like that's why Pat Bev was so good next to Harden. That's why he's so good next to these ball-dominant type of guys because he is guarding people at the point of attack and giving you all of this defense. And you let your, your ball-dominant guys do what they have to do and sort of not rest, but, you know, handle the lesser of the two evils defensively. Um, but, like, he is just a supercharged version of that because on offense, he is plus, 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 you know? Well, yeah, and what if Pat Beverly was also an elite athlete and also 6'5", right. you know? Right. like. And, and let me let me give you a fact because I'm, I, for some reason, this did not occur to me until just now, but how does it hit you that Jalen Brunson and DeJounte Murray are the same age? Really? <laughs> That's pretty wild. Yeah, I think of DeJounte Murray as a younger guy. Yeah. For whatever reason. That's that's crazy. I mean, Brunson looks like he's 32, unfortunately. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Rude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can, I, can I throw one last team out there? Of course. Boston Celtics. Because if we're saying the trade is actually I mean, picks and salary flotsam, like, what about getting another long ball handler in there? Oh, so you're not throwing Marcus Smart in there? Probably not. I don't know if you have to. I would have to mm. look at the Celtics contracts in order to figure out like matching salary. Um, you sound like a Celtics blogger right now. Like Tyson, <laughs> two future seconds for Dejounte Murray. Let's get it done. <laughs> well, it does. It does sound like the 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 package is like three first. Like I guess the question for the Celtics yeah. is is that the type of home run player that you're hoping for to to really round out what you have? And probably more specifically, do you really want to put Derek White through that yet again? <laughs> Oh my God, that's crazy. <laughs> that is insane. Anytime you're trading with a team that just went to the NBA Finals and betting on their future firsts, not great. You know, versus the sure. Hawks. Like, even if you're trading into the Hawks and you're getting their picks back, I think there's just a lot more uncertainty around that team mm -hmm. and what they could be. That it's, mm -hmm. it, I think it's okay to bet on the, bet on the downswing of, of what their potential could be. Right. All right. Uh, we got Rob's in there with Murray. Um, as well as mine. So, Waz, who is your trade target? I'm going to shock you, Verrier. I it's love it. John Collins. 
Uh, um, huh. and, and, and look, John Collins, for the same reasons that we talked about Murray, I just think he slots on so many teams as a guy who is versatile. Yeah, drink at home. He's a versatile <laughs> defender. Um, and again, like, he is a vertical spacer. Like, he's a lob threat in pick and roll. He's a pop threat in pick and pop. Like, I think sometimes... He this idea that he should get the ball and do what I don't know, you know. Like <laughs> I, I get that you're making this plus starter type of money, and it's like, all right, I should have the ball. I'm not sure that his optimal role is that. So who knows if his next destination that will be some kind of problem? But I think the things that John Collins is really good at are valuable to teams who care about winning at the highest level. You know, like playing some spot minutes at the five, being a good four, uh, being somebody who can switch onto wings um, credibly, you know, and not being a just complete zero on offense, right? Like every now and again, being able to attack a mismatch with his physicality. I just think he's somebody that a lot of teams should be looking at trying to bring in, you know, um, like even a Portland type, right? Like where it's like, all right, we might strike out on um, DeAndre Ayton, but maybe we get John Collins in here. He makes us better defensively for sure. And is a good pick and roll partner with Dame Lillard, right? Um, he's not, he's shown a decent amount of playmaking on short roll type of stuff because um, he had to because Clint Capella's in the lane. So like he has all of these tools that I just think we're not able to be unlocked because of a lot of political things going on in Atlanta, I'll say. The governor's race? <laughs> no. No, that's why I love him for Utah. Like, the, the Collins for Gobert trade makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I actually like Murray better for the Hawks, but, like, if if the Hawks decide that beefing up their defense is the most important part, like... I think Collins on Utah is like a really good fit because they need to get younger and more specifically, they just need juice. Like they need something to really energize that team because it's just like fallen into this, like this muck of we've been the same team for so long. And it almost like in when the Warriors reached to get DeMarcus cousins into what they had, like we need something to shake this up to get excited about. And again, I think like a Mitchell Collins, like foundation is something that you could really build on. Maybe they won't be as good next year, but maybe like two years down the road, that's something you could sell to your fans. One who apparently like highlighted her jerseys and uh, really exciting, loud things, but also to Mitchell as like, Hey, you could grow with Collins and we could have another era here after Gobert. I like this as our, our cause. You know, like, let's get a telethon going. Let's find John Collins a home. A home. <laughs> is that so much to ask? John Collins is one of Jerry's kids. <laughs> <laughs> I think all of the newsbreakers in the industry have beaten us to that because I see a John Collins rumor, like, on the hour. Yeah. But they're not invested like we are. You know, we, <laughs> or, we earnestly want to see the best for John Collins, John Collins whether that's sure. in... Again, like all these destinations, whether that's in Charlotte, what, even if it's in Sacramento, even if it's somewhere we're not quite expecting, if there's like yeah. an opportunity for him, I think his game does slot into a lot of different situations. The question is, what is he? What does he want to do? Because I will admit, my only hesitation with John Collins, I remember he made an appearance on the Low Post in which he specifically mentioned that he saw like a Giannis-like open floor future yeah. for himself. Yeah. And that gives me some it's pause. Tough. It's you tough. know, it's you, tough. that's not what you want to hear when, we're, yeah. when we're trying to rehome our guy, John Collins. Mm. I love him with LaMelo. Yeah. He, he yeah. does fit on a lot of different teams. And, and to Waz's point earlier, he has managed to grow his game while sacrificing his game, which is really tough to do. Um, so he's been, he's been willing to do a lot of different things there. So I, I hope he finds a new home. We're rooting for you, John. We're, we're starting to fund here. Hey man, I'm 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 in the John Collins fan club. I, I think what he does, especially when you watch the postseason, where it's like guys that can do a bunch of things, not necessarily you specialize in a thing, but you can do a bunch of things pretty well. That shit is super helpful when you're trying to figure out matchup dependent type of stuff. So I want to see John Collins get busy somewhere. Well, while we're just kind of freestyling trade rumors here. Um, okay. 
And, and to connect some dots, what for the Charlotte scenario, would you would you balk at a John Collins, Bogdan Bogdanovich for Miles Bridges sign and trade kind of situation? Does that do anything for you? It does, but now you're in a world where um LaMelo has to has to become a shot creator. That's true. For himself. He has to be the kind of person who can go out and get buckets for himself, score two-pointers, okay, um, finish at the cup. Like, he has to become that kind of guy. Get to the line, finish at the cup, draw two defenders for your one-on-one attacks. He has to become that. If he does, then shit, sign me up. (laughs) You know what I mean? But, like, like, if you get rid of Miles Bridges, like, that's what he's doing. He's doing that offensive hub type of stuff, shot creations type of stuff. LaMelo hasn't yet shown an ability to do that yet. Mm. And maybe he will. Who knows? Uh, I don't know. Because I think in a LaMelo-centric offense, Collins's best position would probably be at a small ball center. Like, you probably want to get up and down. You don't want to bog him down with Collins plus a rim protector. And I don't know if that's what Collins wants, and I don't know if that's the best usage of him. And so I wonder, like, if I have Bridges, a guy that ostensibly every team wants, who could eventually maybe grow into the type of guy you could throw on uh, the best wings, like, maybe he has that defensive upside in him. I'm not sure. Like, I would bet on Bridges rather than Collins there. He's just more versatile and flexible. I also think Bogdan, like, he's always hurt. And he's yeah. also like older than I think a lot of people realize. He's like 29, I think going on 30. Like, I don't know if he's fitting the timeline of Lamel. He's probably fitting Michael Jordan's timeline of wanting to win more than uh, their best players. Well, I was just thinking for the Memorial Gordon Hayward spot of technically on the roster, but unavailable for tonight's game. I love that Nick Batum's stretched contract is going to outlast Gordon Hayward, which was like Batum is stretched specifically in order to sign Hayward. So that's going to be fun there. Um, all right, let's uh, let's wrap it there. Uh, you'll hear more from all of us from the rest of the week on the Ringer Podcast Network on the Ringer NBA Show feed. Uh, unfortunately, not all together. Uh, Waz and I are first on deck on free agency on Thursday. Rob is going to chime in when Friday, Saturday. I'm, I'm Friday, Friday with our guy Logan. Okay, so uh, we'll have free agency covered throughout the week, uh, and then we'll be back next week to have some takes on all of it again on the group chat thank you to isaiah blakely we'll see you next week